Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Butter With That, a podcast where some friends from Philly get together to discuss some movies uh, and to just hang out and, uh, you know, shoot the breeze about what's going on in our lives, what we've been watching, and uh, in particular, uh, what kind of feedback we've been getting from you, the listeners. Uh, I understand, Connor, that we have a bit of a surprise this week uh, that came to us via our Butter With That Gmail account. We do. Uh, dear friend of the show, Zoe, she's emailed in a few times, uh, sent us an email like two weeks ago, and I'm so sorry I didn't read it out when we recorded last, but I have it and I'm ready to go. So the subject line is, I miss my butter buds, the heart emoji. Aww. Hi, butter people. 2020 was the year without podcasts for me. With the quarantine taking away any and all commutes, it was all I could do to keep up with my new podcasts. And boy, was there a lot of news last year. But I'm trying to lower my anxiety after the coup attempt. So I started trying to catch up on my favorite movies podcast. Well, I'm glad we could help be a source of um, relaxation. I had to go all the way back to The Rise of Skywalker. But I have been loving listening to your transition into pandemic mode. It feels a little surreal, like a horror movie, where I want to scream at you to be prepared because you have no idea what 2020 has in store for you. I bet that is something to listen to. Uh, but it has also been exactly the calm and comfort and familiarity I have so desperately craved. It's like having my friends in the phone ready to have a chat about movies whenever I feel like it. I know that I had an episode-specific comments, but I can never remember them. Um, comments, but I can never remember them when I go to write to you. And also the episodes I'm listening to were from literally a year ago, so I doubt you remember what you said. So I'll just send general love, thankfulness, and warm fuzzies all your, all your way. Miss you terribly, Zoe. Oh, Zoe. Thanks Thank so much, you, Zoe. Zoe, that was so sweet. Great. Um, I have definitely also fallen off the podcast game for a lot of 2020. So it's nice to hear other people um, feeling that way as well. You know, that's interesting because 2020 was really kind of the year of me just like listening to like four episodes of my favorite podcast every day and just kind of going quietly insane but listening to a lot of stuff um you know how spotify does like your year in review um (laughs) for one of the podcasts that i listened to it was like your longest binge it was 15 hours turns out (laughs) i fell asleep (laughs) (laughs) really uh really juicing their numbers though that's cool yeah (laughs) well uh, speaking of, you know, things that we've been doing to pass the time and stuff that we've been, uh, trying to occupy our minds with, has anybody, uh, watched anything within the past week that they've really enjoyed or that they felt like talking about? Sam, we talked about this separately, but WandaVision is getting wild. Hmm. Um, as of this recording, episode six is coming out in two days. Um, no spoilers, but episode five, pretty, pretty interesting stuff happens. Um, and I'm just a huge Randall Park fan. Uh, he is Asian Jim in the office cold open. Uh, he's been in Always Be My Maybe, um, and he's just a hilarious guy. I really hope they give him his own. Like he's an FBI agent in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I would love if they gave him his own like X Files spinoff. Mm-hmm. He, he was just an Ant Man. Like, funny. Yeah, he was really good in Ant Man. So he's just a great character actor. That uh, I'm glad he's getting more time to shine in the Marvel Universe, and I can't wait to see where Wandavision goes. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I watched Ghost. <laughs> I've seen Ghost before oh, when nice. I was younger, but I hadn't seen it in so, so long. And I saw that it was on Amazon Prime, so I, I literally bullied my roommates into watching it. And um, one had never seen it before. So it was it was so great. And you know what? Whoopi just brings the house down. She's so fucking funny. And there were parts in there that I forgot about how funny they were, but they also took some shit out too that I couldn't believe. I know that um, it was like super controversial when um, Patrick Swayze in um, uh, Oda May kisses Demi Moore's character. They took that out. It's strange because I was expecting it and it didn't happen. I was like, oh, that's a weird edit to make. Um, But the like evil ghosts, the shadow ghosts were still just as terrifying as they were when I was a kid. Yeah, big time. They're a really disturbing element of that movie. Yes, very much so. I did a uh, pottery class two years ago, like just a little workshop, and above the was it haunted? (laughs) Yeah, was Patrick Swayze right above you? (laughs) They they had rule number one: do not talk about ghosts written above the doorway. (laughs) 
<laughs> and they had a signed copy from Whoopi of the DVD nice. next to it. So it was like, we know it, we acknowledge it. <laughs> Please don't. Nice. I had a lot of Patrick Swayze in the past couple of months because I rewatched Roadhouse uh, and then I watched, I rewatched Point Break and I was like, damn, damn, Patrick Swayze, like, God, I just need more of him in my life. So maybe I'll rewatch Ghost too. Mm. He was great. We got him in a movie coming down the pike uh, a little ways ahead. I'll say a movie I recently watched that was pretty wild uh, was this 70s sci-fi movie, Logan's Run, starring Mm. Michael York, who also, speaking of just like beauty, Michael York, oh gosh, what a a beauty. But um, it is fucking bizarre. It's like this world, this futuristic post-apocalyptic world where all people are killed (laughs) Once they reach the age 30, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> I am speaking from the, uh, from death over here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little uneven. Like the script is terrible, but the, the effects, like the practical effects and the costume design and the set design is like amazing. And Michael York can do anything. He can do Shakespeare all the way to Logan's run. Like, he was great to follow. So, big recommend. Oh, my God. And, and sorry, 80, or excuse me, 70 sci-fi outfits are amazing. Like, I recently watched Zardoz. Whoa, AJ, if you're listening, nuts. I finally watched Zardoz. I really wanted to talk to AJ about this movie. But all of their outfits, very much like in Logan's run. Flowing primary colors with like ballet flats and that's like what everyone is wearing (laughs) (laughs) Um, i I had a weird kind of like crossover moment today as i was driving i've been trying to catch up on we hate movies um podcast and so i was listening to the nightmare on elm street episode and they were (laughs) talking about forged and fire which i don't know if i mentioned this last time but that's been the new reality show like game show that Alyssa and i have been watching history channel where you know you make they make knives and blades and axes and they were doing like an impression of the guy who does like the filipino guy who does the kill test being like freddy krueger and making the freddy krueger knot and it was like such a weird moment of like this totally random episode from months ago crossing over with what we're watching now and it was absolutely hilarious that's cool that sounds like a really awesome show mm-hmm. that's that's my favorite yeah um, can I do a quick RIP pour one out to Christopher Plummer? Mm-hmm. That was such a sad loss. I mean, I know that he was, what was he, like 94? He's getting up there. Yeah, but still. But a guy. Florence Leachman as well. Uh, she passed recently. And that's, yeah. And, and Cecily Tyson. We lost so many people with within the past, like, three weeks. I mean, generally, yes, obviously. But I feel like within... <laughs> Uh, yeah, but but within the movie sphere um, as well. Yeah, well, you know, hopefully we'll have uh, some some brighter news to bring you folks in the future. Um, <laughs> I suppose, though, in the meantime, um, we do have uh, I think a pretty a pretty bright spot in our programming here today. Um, as you guys may know, we've been uh, reviewing some of the movies that we brought to the table with uh, our celebratory 100th episode, where we. Brought you folks uh, a selection of 100 movies that we would recommend everybody check out. Uh, among them was one that I selected that is a 1990s sci-fi action romp uh, directed by Craig R. Baxley. Uh, that is I Come in Peace, or as it's known internationally when distributed, Dark Angel. Um, this is a movie I've seen. I, I can't count how many times. I don't know how many anymore. Um, especially because this was a bit of a house tradition when, uh, in a time when you could safely invite people into your home, when touring bands would stop by the house and they would stay over the night, um, just on their way to the next gig on the road, they would typically come in and be a little bit overwhelmed by the movie selection. Cause we have like 350 VHSs in a living room. Uh, but the moment they would be paralyzed by the indecision, we would just immediately as housemates be like, Oh, we're popping on. I come in peace for these folks. And uh, we would just let the movie play out. And usually we'd all go to bed and just leave them to the movie because uh, it's a movie not many people have seen. And as I understand it, uh, I don't believe any of you guys have seen it before, right? No. Cool. Well, uh, that having been said, why don't we go around the horn? What were your impressions 
of 1990s I Come in Peace. This is weird. <laughs> that was a weird movie. I, I, I really enjoyed it, um, but it was weird. <laughs> you, got, you got aliens crash landing on Earth, stealing heroin from the government, injecting it in people, taking people's dopamine straight out of their brain, two aliens fighting each other. You think that, you know, one's the bad guy, one's maybe the good guy, but then they, like, do a role. I don't know. That's spoiling the movie. I'm sure we'll get there. But um, <laughs> Dolph Lundgren turns in quite a performance as a Houston cop. Yes. Um, and I forgot the movie was in Texas until the very end because you see, like, in the beginning, you kind of see it in the end. Uh, but, yeah, this is – I enjoyed it. It was weird, and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, I was literally stunned by the movie. <laughs> I texted the group chat and was like, Dave, I am speechless. Um, and it was kind of funny, like, the emotional journey I went on. Like, at first, I was like, oh, this is going to be, like, a serious movie. And then it got to one part, and I was like – what and then i'm like oh you know what like i can like suspend my disbelief like that's okay i I get it i get it and then something else happened and i was just like oh you thought you got it Uh uh-uh you didn't Uh uh-uh and then i just felt like it was um something so interesting about this movie it was just nearly non-stop action which is like hey you get if you get bored and distracted quickly this is a movie for you um but i i think that i liked it cool i feel like this movie was yeah it was like a merging of two things in my brain one was i recently have been watching a lot of uh michael mann movies so all of the explosions and huge pyrotechnics felt michael mann and then uh also was forced to watch this Jesse Ventura movie, Abraxas, in which Jesse Ventura plays an alien coming from outer space to basically fuck shit up. This movie, you have your police procedural with explosions, uh, blowtorch opening, I feel like heat, gritty soundtrack, and then you have Jesse Ventura, Abraxas. That guy isn't obviously Jesse Ventura, but I was like, this is a beautiful melding of these two. Yeah. Well, I mean, that pretty well, that pretty well covers uh, how I think most people react to this movie the first time. It's definitely not off base for uh, how I initially reacted uh, when uh, taking this movie to task and kind of trying to come to terms with all of the different ingredients that are thrown into the same dish. To give you folks an idea of what the that dish is, as as a quick shorthand summary, is that uh, Dolph Lundgren is, as we've said, a Houston police officer um, who is investigating a uh, a gang called the White Boys, who uh, have been going about town and uh, stealing heroin, and uh, they encounter an alien that is using heroin to harvest human endorphins, which it sells on its home world uh, as a substance called Blarcy. And uh, obviously Dolph is put on the case uh, after his uh, his partner is slain and uh, he's assigned a new partner in Brian Ben-Ben's Agent Smith. And we sort of follow the two of them as they uh, they try to track down uh, the goings on with the white boys while also uh, seeing what's going on with these two aliens and uh, a lot of different storylines in that sense colliding. The movie is, uh, as we said before, starring Dolph Lundgren, also Brian Ben-Ben, also uh, Bessie Brantley, who I'm sure we'll get into, uh, playing Diane. It's a lean 91 minutes. Uh, it had a budget of about 5 to $7 million and grossed about $4.35 million. Uh, it's kind of ouch there. Uh, speaking of ouch, it uh, has about a 33% uh, critic score and a 45% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So, uh, you know... Maybe there's a lot of people out there who aren't in on the joke, but I uh, I think there's a lot of fun stuff to to delve into with this movie. And since almost nobody's seen it, uh, I think we're just going to walk you through some of the major beats of the movie. That being said, if you do want to check it out, it is available in multiple different versions on YouTube for free. So um, go ahead and have a look at that. Do you see this movie on people's like cult classics lists ever? Or do you feel like this is even like below kind of like films that have risen to cult classic status? This is one that's like, yeah, I think I haven't seen it on many lists. I think it's like one of those that kind of flew under the radar. I think it's Triumph Pictures, um, kind of in an era where people were going to Canon Pictures for these sort of films for the most part, and they were kind of on the rise. Uh, and it was also getting swept in uh, to the main stage through 
like New Line Cinemas and other things. So there was there was a lot of like of era eighties action that was that gave this a, a pretty competitive ground to compete on. Um, so I think a lot of people probably missed this movie. As I said, that's probably a good segue for us to get into uh, kind of how this movie goes down. Uh, I suppose we begin with a cold open. And that is a man driving, uh, trying to play a Christmas CD, which is ejecting itself and hurting him somehow. I So not to like immediately jump into the movie or anything, Dave. So <laughs> like, who, what is the first alien's name? I don't think we ever get names for them. Is that I recall. Alien One and or no, Good Alien or the credits said either Alien One, Alien Two, or like Good Alien, Bad Alien. <laughs> they have no names. In my notes, it's Good and Bad Alien. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, perfect. Okay, great. I As it should be. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry. Nothing <laughs> is nuanced in this movie. No names to sort of give you some complexity to the characters. <laughs> No, not as concerns these two, at least. Or as concerns this man. He's just sort of some some character that we're introduced to who's driving. Again, he's been hurt by a CD in his car. Uh, so keep that in your back pocket as Chekhov's CD. Uh, when C compact disc is introduced in the first act, someone will be killed with it. Apparently at the end of the first act also. Uh, so... Uh, something to keep in mind because of this he crashes into a christmas tree farm and uh just the profanity in this movie is outrageous the first lines of the movie are in order seventy thousand dollars for this car and they put in a piece of shit cd player then son of a bitch then great god damn it merry fucking christmas the first lines of this movie uh so it's really laden with profanity and it really gets that out of the way at the onset so as this is going on, uh, there's an explosion. And uh, from that explosion, a la Terminator, uh, this figure emerges who is just sort of this mysterious hulking figure of a man in a duster with this sort of sleek white hair and uh, these kind of white eyes who mysteriously says to us, I'm coming, peace. I, so two things. One, every time this alien comes on screen, I really, really desperately wanted him to be the Witcher. So I was just like, Henry <laughs> Cavill, I wanted that so bad. Um, the second thing is I was trying desperately to make connections between the people who this alien was going after. And I was like, oh, well, we just saw this guy be kind of like a prick. Like, is that the commonality between all of these? And then, uh, no. <laughs> nope no he's a he's a perfect villain he just like kills everyone <laughs> <laughs> he's a force no, of nature no purpose it's kind of a lesser anton sugar figure <laughs> much lesser but <laughs> i would yeah, love to I see mean, a celebrity death match between the i come in peace alien and anton sugar <laughs> Oh, and you know what? He could use his, like, wire thing, and Anton could use his, like, uh, cattle shoot thing. You know, that'd be pretty good. But at any rate, that's sort of uh, that's sort of the hard-cut intro, uh, the cold open, which leads us to our second cold open. <laughs> and that is uh, this group of uh, gangsters, the white boys, who are stealing a bundle of heroin from a police precinct. And uh, then when they're leaving, they blow up the entire police precinct uh, because, uh, in, in their explanation, it leaves no witnesses. Uh, although I'm pretty sure there are now way more witnesses to a much more serious crime. But that's that's our introduction to the white boys and their kind of uh, devious dealings. Also, well, and I was thinking about that. You went from the one, the guy, like, so the person infiltrates, there's a montage of the one white boy infiltrating the police station, kills a, kills an officer, takes his uniform, name tag, walks out. And there's one somewhat suspicious guy at like the checkout mm. counter for like the evidence. He kind of looks like Jeff like Daniels. Like, oh, <laughs> he does. Yeah, And I was like, you're, blew up an entire police station. And then later in the movie, they're like, the police declared a war on drugs or some kind of line like that. <laughs> and it's like, cause you blew up an entire police station. <laughs> You went from one guy making one maybe phone call to like blowing up an entire station. But like, how how are there any more police? <laughs> I was like, thing they're, is, they're dead. The explosion budget for this movie <laughs> must have been so high. Like when the producers were like going through the budget, it was like script, uh, actors, uh, 
but explosions, dynamite, effective, like flame throwing guns, biggest yes. aspect of the budget. And maybe neon mirrors. <laughs> but like <laughs> these explosions were so effective. I'm jumping forward, but uh the fi- the final sequence when they're in the warehouse, those explosions, mm-hmm. I felt the heat on my face. I was like, those actors are gonna die. And I feel very <laughs> bad for them. But it I was, was like really a, impressed. It's like everything was made out of gasoline. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, like the aliens, almost everything explodes. Humans' blood were gasoline. Everything was just pure, pure petrol. <laughs> Every car you see in a frame, you're like, okay, that's gonna explode. <laughs> so after this, we actually meet our, uh, our protagonist. That's uh, Jack Kane, and he's a he's a a PI, a, a detective who's rather um, who is um, on the Houston police force and uh, is currently. Uh, doing backup for his undercover partner, Ray, uh, who is dealing with the, uh, the white boys, um, sort of de facto head leader, um, Victor Manning. This entire conversation is ridiculous. Uh, it's, it's sort of <laughs> Victor Manning, this, uh, kind of pompous bad guy and, uh, the fellow white boys clearly seeing through this guy's ruse and just sort of messing with him through a conversation about the importance of education, uh, <laughs> to which Ray, uh, not necessarily to his credit as an undercover officer responds at one point. What university did you go to? The University of Suck My Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just... Like, burn. <laughs> one of those lines where, you know, maybe you should be playing it a little bit cooler as the undercover officer right now. That's the, he was playing it really fast and loose, and I was like, this is not going to end well for this guy. <laughs> yeah. And it does not. And it, it does not. Indeed, it doesn't. Surprisingly, though, it was not yet with this movie where I was like, huh, like what's going on? I was still like, all right, like that's fine. Sure. Yeah, well, the reason it goes awry is because Kane is distracted by a nearby robbery uh, that's going on at, I guess, just sort of like a a bodega or kind of corner store. Uh, So he bursts in there and uh, dispatches these two like hyper crime villains. Like these guys are like straight out of like some of the most extreme like robocop or like death wish movies you've ever seen and they're just coming in and like shouting money 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 and shooting everything um so he comes in and he (laughs) apprehends these two guys with two well-placed roundhouse kicks um but the the cost of that is that the white boys happened to kill ray uh because he wasn't wasn't on uh on task as backup that was the moment where i went what when (laughs) i was just money money Well, I think that scene sets up kind of an interesting thread. And in a different movie, this probably would have been more fleshed out, but the idea of, like, Dolph Lundgren's sense of honor, Mm -hmm. of, like, he has a very rigid code. Um, And so it's interesting, I feel like that plays out. That You see it here of, like, he has to stop the bad guys, shouting money, killing, maybe killing innocent people um, at the expense of his part. Like, he'll do anything to try to help people. I don't think that's necessarily fully fleshed out, but... Mm -hmm. Definitely the seeds of it are laid in this scene here. And he pays the price. Well, his partner pays the price for him acting, you know, with this sense of honor of trying to like save innocence. The roundhouse kick also, this is my first Dolph Lundgren movie mm-hmm. I think I've ever watched. And I was Welcome like, hmm. yeah. So I was like, hmm, is he kind of like, are we embarking on like a Jean-Claude Van Damme adventure? <laughs> like, Am I going to see more of those kicks? Am I going to see like midair splits, like kicking two people at the same time? He's a little more understated than Jean-Claude. I I might still be team Jean-Claude versus Lundgren, but like, I was like, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'd love, I would have loved some more kicks out of him. He was like a martial arts star, right? Kind of more just like a general action thing. His buffet of skills, chemical engineering, acting, martial arts, boxing. <laughs> and chemical engineering again. Yes, twice. Modeling. He was dating Grace Jones. I, look, I looked up everything about him today, and I was like, he like modeled when he was dating Grace Jones because he was her bodyguard at first. It's like, oh. Of course, Victor Manning uh, kind of absconds off scene, and some of the central white boys leave with him that we've been introduced to. And then there's just kind of a gaggle of the rest of them there. And out of nowhere, uh, a CD 
And it is a CD. Like it has a spindle hole and everything. It's just a blank CD, which is, a, as we discover, alien technology goes bouncing across the walls, almost like a, almost like a ricocheting uh, boomerang. And it just keeps slashing throat after throat and killing all the, uh, all the remaining white boys on the scene. And they're at a loss for how that could have happened when they discovered the scene. Really effective weapon. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That, yeah. I thought that was such a cool, a, this movie has a lot of really cool ideas and that's definitely one of them of like how, you know, aliens are using like a truly alien kind of weapon, like a magnetic CD that like tracks human bodies to kill, which we learn a little later. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. I mean, this is, this movie is 1990 and the CD killed the cassette. So like, you know, <laughs> some commenting on transforming uh, music and movie media. <laughs> I love that deeper meaning, Christine. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> Pulled out of my butt. <laughs> well, we then roll from there into Kane being reprimanded for his partner's death, quite understandably but also being reprimanded for another pretty specific reason. Uh, and that was that he was apparently missing for eight days. And uh, his captain, which is like one of those hard boiled, like pissed off at collateral damage and played by their own rules, you know, underlings, uh, 80s trope captain uh, comes in full steam. He's saying, um, I'm so pissed off. I could throw you through a goddamn window. I'm not going to do that right now. It's not the time. It's not the time to break your fucking neck either. You disappeared for eight days, not even a week, which maybe I could understand, but eight fucking days. That one day, that one extra that, day. He that t- really made the difference. Do we know where he went? Nope. No explanation. Cool. Great. <laughs> I love it. Was this mission? That's kind of what I thought of like, they're tailing the white boys for eight days. That's kind of what I thought. But then wouldn't the captain know about that? And it's kind of. I feel like they realized they had no tension whatsoever. <laughs> like we need to make up some reason why his boss is pissed off at him. Yeah, well, that works. And this captain is obsessed with vacation time. Like I swear the phrase vacation or vacation time comes up maybe 50 times in the movie of the captain not firing or reprimanding or suspending, but you got to take your vacation. You got eight weeks of vacation and you got to take it now. Well, so then following him being reprimanded uh, and, and Connor, as you said, him being forced into this vacation, all of a sudden the FBI arrives uh, and the FBI supervisor um, uh, Schweitzer uh, happens to step in and, uh, and speak to Kane. And he decides that he should be put back on the streets on this case but he's going to be assigned a new partner. And that's when we meet the plucky agent Smith played by Brian Ben Ben. I love him. Ugh. I thought he killed it. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime anybody has anything to say about this movie, uh, my, my first defense of it is just like, as concerns Brian Ben Ben in this movie, it's like, listen, don't ever talk to me or my son like that ever again. <laughs> because he's just such a strange off kilter and like out of sync comic relief in this movie that is really strange but really hilarious a lot of the time he's in a totally different movie and i'm loving the movie he's in and Mm -hmm. i feel like he gives some like zhuzh (laughs) to like all of the scenes uh when they go back to jack's house and Jack offers him a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. I literally felt my soul leave my body. I don't know what it was about that scene, but it was just like after everything we have been through at this point, it's been like 10 minutes and <laughs> you're going to offer this man wine just after he comments on how large the painting is in his living room. It was very, very strange. I didn't understand that part. And Brian Ben Ben just downs the entire glass of wine. <laughs> Picking up at seven. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's a lot to come with uh, with Agent Smith ahead, but we also do meet in the scene Diane. Um, now, as those of you who've been listening for the past month know, we've covered a lot of uh, pretty strong female characters uh, throughout some arguably better movies. Uh, this one doesn't quite do that though. When we first meet Diane, uh, one of the first things that she says to him uh, as a beginning of a sentence is, uh, "Hey." I like abuse as much as the next girl. And she's just, I mean, she's a uh, city coroner. Um, she's the medical examiner. She seems to have a pretty established career. Uh, but she also seems to be uh, 
basically Dolph Lundgren's uh, just sort of like doormat throughout a majority of this movie. And it hinges, it, it establishes that this relationship has Quit. been uh, pretty unhealthy. And she quits her job for him at the end, right? <laughs> yeah, that gets crazy too. We'll get to that also. <laughs> What like, I will say, I didn't even see that happen, but all of a sudden she's like, I'm not working anymore. Like, we're supposed to go on vacation. I was like, Shit. yeah, the way in which that comes up is insane. What I will at least give credit to Diane is she is she's a smart lady, she's a city coroner, she demands to be let into crime scenes where the FBI or whatever other governmental organization doesn't want her to get in. I don't think it's an entirely lost cause of a character, uh, but definitely the script does does her literally no favors. The crumbs you're stitching together, Connor. I love that. Thank you for being so positive. (laughs) (laughs) So Diane's a figure that we'll be hearing from more as the movie goes on, but that leads us then to, um, well, actually uh, right before the scene ends, um, as she, Diane walks away, one of the first interactions that we have between Smith and Kane is Smith uh, kind of sarcastically saying, and rightfully saying, pretty healthy relationship you've got there. To which Lundgren's response is, that's one. <laughs> one what? We haven't oh. established anything. <laughs> no, he and he sort of like does this sort of like fist shake, but like it's so odd. His physical presence is so intricate, like the way he moves through space and the way he gesticulates is so funny. He just, that's that's one sort of like placidly waving his hand <laughs> through the air. It's so weird. My thought is obviously it's got to be, you know, um, this has got to be like strikes, like, you know, baseball strikes. But he, we never ever say that. <laughs> and it, I yeah. wonder if that was a cut scene. Mm. Mm. Maybe or like cut for time. I I don't know. At least there's a payoff. There are a lot of great edits or, or like terrible cuts. There's one in the hospital when they're they're talking to Diane, who Benny or who's the partner, and then Dolph Lundgren. They're all in the same room, like figuring out this like dead body, and then it cuts to. Ben Bent or like the his partner on the phone in the hallway and then Dolph Lundgren is coming out and it's like wait there's no way you could have been in the same room and then started a phone call and finished it and be walking down the hall and then there's a second time he's on the phone in the hospital I was like he definitely just recycled this footage and then we're like we need a way to get these characters out into the hallway (laughs) but it's nice to see how a director's mind works there's one, uh, there's one error, one continuity error, or just like editing error uh, later on that's in that vein that I'm really looking forward to highlighting because it's one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. Making a movie is hard. Like you, you got to cut people some slack, you know? <laughs> well, the next thing that happens is that we see kind of what uh, this mysterious alien figures up to um, in a series of kind of escalating scenes where each time we're given a little more detail. Um, he's encountering people um, just sort of like stalking them in the shadows and then popping up and kind of knocking them to the ground. Uh, he tends to tear their shirt open. And then this wiry kind of like, it's like an arrow with like a hose attached to it, just sort of like plunges into their chest and starts inserting a liquid. And it's then it's like it goes, a grappling hook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of. Like hooks to the chest. And then as time passes in these scenes, we see that he's also... After doing that, uh, and there's the per- humans are seemingly incapacitated, uh, Spike comes out of his wrist, uh, which he then jams into their foreheads uh, to harvest the goo inside of their brains, which we come to understand the meaning of later. Uh, we're also, though, treated to another alien that shows up in a similar fashion, but this alien isn't interested in hurting anybody. Um, it seems, in fact, that he's actually more interested in ta- uh, tracking and uh, hunting down the opposing bad alien, which I guess is now as as good a time as any to distinguish good and bad alien by those terms. I will say that um, the the hook and the spear in in the head, great body horror. Like it's really Mm -hmm. effective. And you see the liquid go through the tubes back into his little vials. I was really impressed by how they could make that so nasty and disgusting. Kind of almost like reminds me of like Starship Troopers, the brain bug, like sucking out the brain juice, you know? You're like, I should be laughing, but I'm actually terrified right now. (laughs) Yeah. 
And like if if the movie didn't have these elements of like some body horror, effective comedy, like it wouldn't work in any way. But the fact that it's this weird amalgam of these really cool ideas and cool execution really makes it unique. And the aliens are weird, bad, and also very good at the same time. Like it's this interesting, like they're not characters, they're just plot devices. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to learn more, which I guess is a good thing. <laughs> and like, I think the biggest question with the alien who, so we learn, you know, he's harvesting human goo. How is he getting back to his world to sell the drugs? No idea. No idea. He did not land in a vessel. He like just ground pounded like a meteor into, <laughs> into Houston. And how is he getting home? I mean, based on how good Alien died, sorry, spoiler alert, mm. like, it seems like maybe they can, like, uh, evaporate or, like, just suddenly appear and form in physical, like, become physical matter and then, like, disperse into molecules and then maybe transport themselves to another planet. Which is doing a lot more legwork in that that explanation than this movie does. <laughs> does that mean that he kept teleporting back to his planet and came back? So those like five vials we see, he actually harvested like a hundred vials? I don't think so, because the the whole notion of as is explained by the good alien later, the big threat of this isn't necessarily that he's killed these several people, but that he can bring it back to his home world as a planet our planet that could be harvested by other soldiers or other space drug dealers that are sent to earth. So, um, yeah, I don't know. One of the, one of the many unanswered questions and uh, another unanswered question is, I mean, when we see these two aliens squaring off, they're using these uh, space weapons, these big powerful guns that, as we mentioned before, seem to blow everything up. One of the scenes where they're fighting in a garage, they blow up, I don't know, 25 cars. It's amazing. Which is wonderful. I mean, I'm all on board for that. Like explosions and that kind of spectacle in an action movie, yeah, I'm I'm full tilt interested. Um, I I was a little disappointed in the gun prop because it's set up as this like alien futuristic gun, and it looks like something they bought at the dollar store and spray painted black with like, and they put some like LED bulbs on the side. Like I feel like the movie did a lot of great work with like um, props and you know effects, and then I just feel like that gun that they were just waving around. I don't know. To me, it just looked. A little cheap. Listen, we've already spent a lot of money on dynamite. And we spent a yeah. lot of money on cocaine. So we're going to have to make this movie one way or another. That is what was left over in that budget. <laughs> was going over to the dollar store and being like, all right, this is what we've got. <laughs> well, so that brings us then to Kane and uh, his new partner, Smith. Reluctant partners investigating the scene. Um, where they find that there are these these kind of like slice marks on the walls that sort of indicate this momentum of this this weapon that they're looking for but they're not sure what kind of weapon could have done that because again there are the bodies of some of the slain white boys on the scenes with the throat cut for further <laughs> further research because uh Dolph says that it'll give him a chance to think they go to a, a nearby bar and uh they kind of pump a character named Boner for information seems like they're really kind of just interested in uh, figuring out, you know, maybe what could be going on with uh, the heroin trade and the white boys at the time, not so much the weapon. But Kane happens to look across the room and sees a billiards table. And then that's the first time that he thinks, wait a minute, geometry. Maybe this weapon has ricocheted. Um, Even though we later see that he has a billiards table in his house. Uh, But so all that we we really glean from this scene where they go to the bar, which is maybe five or so minutes, uh, is that they go right back to this crime scene uh, and are like, oh, maybe a ricocheted. Uh, and there they discover uh, the CD weapon, which is stuck, uh, kind of magnetized against um, a speaker there in the club. I thought about that, of like, they go to the club, which is probably across town, and then they just go right back to the crime scene. Yeah, this movie, like I said, a lean 91 minutes could have been like 75. Yeah. Also, can we just talk about, like, when they're in the bar, the woman that, she just, like, she's in some kind of suit jacket, and does she have, like, a hat on, and she just, like, keeps, we just keep seeing her boobs. I was like, mm-hmm. that's fine, but, like, what, like, wh- why? Well, we do, I guess so that we can have uh, Brian Benben's great line. All the blood's leaving my head. Right, I guess. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. thanks for that, Brian. But yeah, th- I mean, this movie is, it's it's 
uh, it, this movie is uh, an earned R rating. But the funny thing is not so much because of like, I mean, there's that one flash of nudity and there's some, there's a lot of gore, but it's mostly just because we're saying fuck every like three or four lines. It's just laden with profanity, which again, in this kind of movie, I kind of really love. So they've, uh, they figured all this out and then um, they kind of part ways for the night. Um, and then we get more insight into Kane and Diane's relationship in a ridiculous scene where he kind of comes to apologize to her. And she, I like that she slaps him twice and then goes in for a third one, but that just slapping stopped. scene was so bizarre. Slap, pause, slap, slap. <laughs> pause, like, no dialogue still. Yeah. Such weird blocking. <laughs> I, and then she, oh God. I just, I hate the trope of like women slapping men. First of all, like, Please don't slap people. Like, that's not okay. But I should slap people. Yeah, you, you just, like, shouldn't. But, like, also, it's, like, to show how hurt and hysterical she is. I'm just like, mm. no more. Well, and then she goes on kind of desperately and, like, you know, as he's, you know, I don't know. This feels very much like what it is as he's wearing her down and that, um, to sort of, like, smooching her neck and soothing it over. Um, re, you know, textbook abusive relationship. She's She's saying all these things like, um, promise me something. Promise to remember my birthday or promise to visit my mother. I don't care what it is. Just promise me something like you do everybody else. Because if there's one thing we know about Jack, he's a man who keeps his promises. When he's confronted by his chief earlier on, um, he's telling him to take his leave. And uh, Kane asks, is that an order? And cleverly, the chief is like, no, worse. Promise me. As though that's the linchpin of his character. He just cannot oh break God. a promise. That scene, I was like, that writer felt so good about that line. <laughs> they were like, I nailed it. I really, this, this is such a zinger. I thought the promising was going to come up more. Yeah. And it kind of does. They, they suggest it's a big deal, but yeah, it doesn't really come up much. It kind of just dropped until closer to like the last 20 minutes of the movie that idea kind of comes back yeah well then we uh, sp- uh we're kind of like looking into what this disc is because uh Dolph has just held it overnight agent smith is quick to point out that like well you know uh evidence is supposed to be presented in a timely fashion switzer manual 101 but Dolph just hangs on to it overnight so that he can give it to his buddy dr bruce so now we meet dr bruce which is wait Sorry, can I cut in one moment? Because oh, we talked about terrible edit, terrible cuts and terrible editing. I feel like this one attempted to make up for terrible edits. I think right before we meet Dr. Bruce is one more like head sucking, endorphin sucking from the brain. Mm-hmm. And you see the liquid go through the tube of good of bad aliens little device. And then you see the tube morph into like, test tubes and like what you later find out is this doctor drinking coffee from like his chemistry set. But I was like, I feel like this editor was like, okay, we have shitty editing through this whole movie, but I'm going to do this one trick. (laughs) It comes up, it comes up another time too, actually just before that, when, um, when we're still seeing that, like when he first drives, we see the alien drive the spike into one of the human's heads. Um, it goes from a hard cut from the, uh, that sort of like, spike coming down into the billiards table breaking a shot so like it's got some moments <laughs> isn't there another one like, tape measure too when he's like injecting the woman in the apartment mm-hmm. and it's like a tape measure comes out and said measuring something so yeah many. there's like a beginning it's like hitting your head like hitting you over the head with like magical cuts <laughs> that yeah. really serve no purpose <laughs> I really liked Dr. Bruce. I wish that, I feel like in this movie, I wish I just saw more, like, if Dolph Lundgren formed a team. Like, if at the end of the movie, to beat the alien, he had to bring all the different kind of wacky side characters and maybe introduce some more side characters. Because he has he has such a strong personality, Dr. Bruce, this caffeinated, drugged-up university man. Um, and then he's just totally forgotten for the rest of the movie after he's explained how the CD works. Pretty much. I mean... It's a character we don't need. I mean, we could just find out about this weapon uh, is, is my kind of thought on it. Because it just, it's one of those moments where like this movie is perhaps becoming overpopulated with ridiculous characters. Because <laughs> as you said, like he's all tuned up on this like 
hyper-concentrated, uh, over-caffeinated coffee he's brewing and he's all twitchy and he just screams in between sentences and does acrobatics on his lab table while in mid-conversation. And it's just pretty ridiculous. But what he does present us with, though, is a, a void that he... Uh, uh, something he's created to store the CD, which is basically three pillars holding the CD. And he claims it's an area completely void of charge, even though it's not in a vacuum and is totally exposed to the air of the room. Um, and he's studying this disc weapon, which it turns out is a powerful magnet that can be tuned to the magnetic frequency of its victims. In his words, it's like turning your radio dial to K-I-L-L. <laughs> that, that might be my favorite line in the whole movie. <laughs> well, so shortly after that, um, Diane has been checking out the, uh, the aliens' victims and discovers this process. Again, he injects the victims with stolen heroin to harvest their endorphins by driving a hollow spike into their heads. Um, and then my favorite mistake in this movie. Um, in the midst of this conversation with, uh, with uh, Kane and Smith, uh, she's, you know, doing the autopsies and is seeing over these bodies. She's, you know, the medical examiner. And she's holding this circular saw. <laughs> which he holds up and is in clear view of the shot. And as a way of kind of punctuating what she says during the end of a line, we hear the revving engine of this little circular saw and it zooms in on the blade that doesn't move. <laughs> twice. Twice. It twice. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. That's definitely my favorite part of this movie. <laughs> is that like a decision made in editing? Like where in the world did like that idea to put in a, like a sound, like enter the creative process. I don't know because I mean, at the point that you're doing ADR and additional dubbing and Foley work, the principal photography is there. So they were seeing that it's not spinning, but they're like, wouldn't it be cool if it did though? Maybe if it sounds like it did, that'll work. I don't know, but it's it's one of those like continuity errors or just like technical production errors that are pretty rampant in action movies of this era and that I always really, really love. Shortly after this, um, we get a postcard. Uh, Kane gets a postcard from Victor Manning, the head of the uh, the White Boys, uh, that, that crew of hitmen, which is a postcard of him in Rio cracking up surrounded by topless women on a yacht with a message saying, having a great time in Rio. Wish you were dead, Victor Manning. <laughs> Which is pretty great. So uh, Kane is pissed. You know, that guy oversaw the killing of his partner. So they decide they're going to talk to Warren, which is, I guess, another guy that is a more corporate fixture within the white boys organization. So on their way there, they're caught up in a high speed chase with hitmen firing at them on a public street with Uzis. Uh, but once they get away, uh, whatever, nothing to worry about. They're only police, right? So it never comes up again. Um, they go to Warren's and... Uh, He's apparently having a sort of board meeting with uh, with some of his gang while Dolph busts in and they all sur- they all surrender their weapons because they all have weapons at this board meeting. But then we find out that Warren has the upper hand because while he's been inside, kind of on his cavalier police kick, Brian Benben, another partner of his, has been exposed to danger and has been caught by the white boys. So now they're being extorted into a heroin drop-off. I, I wish that we had, what was the main, the head of the white boys' name who's in Rio? Victor Manning. I wish that he was in more of the movie. He feels a lot like a video game villain. Where yes. like you meet him in the beginning. It's a big voice actor who voices him. And then he just taunts you on like the voiceover. <laughs> like after you beat a couple missions, you know, throughout the game. And then you just have to fight his henchmen. And like, I like it'd be so interesting if he like for some reason teamed up with the bad alien with like the promise of something. Like I would love if we like fleshed out who he was and like I don't know, maybe put him in league with the bad alien. I had forgotten who he was. Yeah, we don't really get <laughs> too much. Not enough. It's kind of like somebody came up with a pretty exciting... Because, like, the the mob and, like, Hitman set pieces, the White Boys stuff versus Dolph Lundgren in the heroin trade, that's just a pretty interesting action movie. And I feel like someone brought that to a production meeting and someone's like, yeah, but uh, there could be aliens, right? And that's how or we there- got here. Or there were two separate movies that were written, and then the producer was like, actually, you know what we can do? Yeah. And we can just combine these movies. That's kind of what I'm thinking happened here. So after this, they go go to execute this drop-off, but it goes south. Um, The alien, the bad alien, shows up to steal the heroin. 
But the good alien shows up and tries to fight him. So now Dolph is aware that there are two of them. After that, uh, they head back to see Dr. Bruce again, who's been jumped by the FBI to steal the disc. So this introduces uh, something in the mix that maybe the FBI isn't uh, isn't as rosy an institution as they, uh, they're supposed to be in this movie. Uh, and maybe there's something more devious going on as far as them wanting to access alien technology. Uh, after that, the aliens fight again and there are more explosions, but the good alien is wounded and starts bleeding uh, marshmallow fluff. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty much what he, what he bleeds. When he's like, he's bleeding. I'm just like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> so Kane and Smith continue arguing about the case, which is then completely turned over to the FBI, leaving Kane out of the loop. So Kane at that point decides that he and Diane should take a trip because of this uh, forced vacation uh, to, quote, some place they've never heard of. And when Diane says she can't take the vacation time, he urges her to quit her job as the county coroner, which she does. I just, like, fine. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going on. Um, but then, you know, uh, Kane pretty much watching his hand of the situation and handing it over to the FBI and to Agent Smith and to Schweitzer. Um, discovers the wounded good alien in his car who confirms their suspicions. The bad alien has been harvesting the endorphins to distribute them as a drug called Blarcy on his homeworld. And after this exposition dump, he dies and explodes in rays of white light. Sure. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) How does he speak English? And also, how do they know how an Earth-based drug like heroin is going to affect specifically humans as a drug they already have a name for? (laughs) So many questions. <laughs> and and we haven't really talked about this much, but the bad alien keeps saying, I come in peace as he's killing people. Mm-hmm. And that also never gets an explanation. <laughs> yeah. Like, why? It's like, only the we, titular line. Why? You know. <laughs> I think it's interesting that I wonder if they're playing with some tropes of like the all black alien is actually the good guy and the white alien you know, is the hmm. bad guy. I wonder if there's some kind of interesting trope just, playing happening there. I like, did that movie think about that? I like, I, 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 I want to give him that credit, but like, I don't know. I was going to say, I think anything we come up with is doing homework that this movie didn't do, <laughs> <laughs> but that does make it kind of a fun movie because it does leave so many unanswered questions that you can't help but kind of prod at it, you know? <laughs> Um, so after this, uh, Smith, uh, agent Smith kind of betrays Kane. Uh, he, he takes the alien weapon and offers it to Switzer, his mentor and superior. Um, although Kane has told him like, Hey, you should be wary of this guy. Obviously something's going on with the FBI and, uh, he'll tell you one thing. He means another pretty soon. He'll feed you that old line about breaking eggs to make an omelet, which Switzer literally says when he's talking to, uh, to Smith a scene later, um Love about that how line. <laughs> about how now it's been handed over to the fbi and uh they can quote remove kane um so of course smith is like well you know I, I i'm not crazy about this guy but i don't think it's necessary for us to kill him really is it um at which point we see schweitzer loading a gun to kill agent smith uh unbeknownst to him but then kane fortunately is there he knew that something was fishy and happens to shoot down um switzer to save uh, Agent Smith, his buddy, who is now back on his team and questioning uh, his allegiance to the FBI. And also, uh, it's not a problem later that Kane murdered a high-ranking member of the FBI. Don't even worry about it. What And what gets me about that scene is Smith, he has this little notebook that he takes notes in. I guess, I don't think you see it that much, but he does it. And then he throws it onto the body and they're like, well, now they know that you were a part of it. Yes. Because you threw your notebook. <laughs> it's in the water. His corpse. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of explaining to do after this movie, I think, for for Kane and Smith. Is there? Well, and they try to... <laughs> I feel I like they... Kane lives his life with no repercussions. Unless he makes a problem. That is, that is right. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> and in the beginning, they try to do interesting work with Smith. Like, lay like, well, I know everything. Nothing can surprise me. Instinct is a lie. I've I've trained to know what to do to know what to expect in literally any scenario. And then I feel like at this moment when he's like at the apex of his character arc of questioning his allegiance to the FBI, they just kind of that just fizzles. Like he then just becomes like the buddy of Kane and then 
loses all sense of like character or agency. We're done with the FBI. As soon as this conversation is over, that's it. <laughs> Which then I guess brings us to, um, to Kane and Smith uh, fighting the alien and getting, getting into yet another gunfight. This is a pretty fun one because it's kind of a car chase and it does the thing like the Blues Brothers thing of like driving through a mall and all this kind of like fun post 80s but still like 80s holdover action tropes that are really fun and really jaunty also uh the director uh what craig r baxley um is actually kind of more known for his stunt work uh and stunt coordination like he was a, a basically like a stunt coordinator for most of his career and this was one of the first movies he directed and one of the only movies he directed um which is why it is kind of like a stunt spectacle movie there are a lot of cool action set pieces that just checks one of them. out yeah that definitely yeah. makes sense to me after this, um, you know, the alien, uh, the alien escapes, but guess what? They have his precious Blarcy, um, the harvested endorphins. So Diane returns. Uh, she's ready for her promised vacation. But now that Kane is back on the job, she's uh, quick to be disappointed, even though she just quit her job. Fucking uh, quit her job! <laughs> you know, That's the city coroner. I would just, can I give her a vacation? I will do that <laughs> myself. And then... The three of them are ambushed by the white boys, who we've forgotten about at this point, because that's right. They were part of this heroin uh, drop-off that went awry. And there's my favorite delivery in the line during this firefight of one of the white boys just shouting, You fucked up, Kane! Which gets me every time. Um, luckily, the alien shows up and kills both of the white boys. So that problem is quickly resolved. The alien then gives chase of the three of them to an abandoned foundry because that's a leftover 80s trope that needs checking off the list. Uh, and uh, it works. Kane, there are levels. There are ladders. Oh, yeah. There are huge uh, metal barrels of probably gasoline. As Connor said, everything is just filled with gasoline. It works. A lot it of vats. Works as a, set. Yeah. a lot of vats of yeah, catwalks. random shit. <laughs> so many catwalks. Yes, ladders and catwalks. Yeah, big time. And on these ladders and catwalks, the alien is, you know, gaining on them. He's really pissed because he wants his Blarcy. That's why he came to Earth. So he he kind of uh, he kind of knocks Agent Smith out of the way and uh, and onto a car, the roof of a car, which he like Brian Ben Ben is probably like what 110 pounds soaking wet, but just bursts through this prop car, um, and is seemingly kind of like out of the mix now. Um, so it's up to Kane. Uh, Kane offers the alien um, his Blarcy back, uh, but demands kind of like a final. One-on-one, mano e alien showdown. Um, he and the alien duke it out. Uh, and the alien then uses the long-pointed wire thing uh, that he uses to inject heroin into his victims to attack. How long did you guys think this that scene went on for when watching this? Just, just out of curiosity the first time. Because I timed it. I thought it was pretty Every effective. time it feels long. I'm going to guess that went on for like 140 seconds. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like three minutes. Yeah, it really felt like three minutes. And it's just Dolph Lundgren struggling. Like, it's an extreme close-up of Dolph Lundgren basically just holding like a, you know, like a telephone wire thick cable and struggling against it. it I goes thought on. it was effective because it's like... So can I just say one thing? It's like, it's like, I, I don't know um, methods of comedy, but I do, but there's that one thing where it's like, you repeat a joke or you, you push and extend something so far that it stops being funny, but then you keep pushing it. And then you're like, wait a second, this is actually absurd and funny. And I feel like Maybe in the hands of another director, they'd be like, this is so intentional and this is why we're doing it. Mm. Probably this director was just like, I don't know. This, we'll just get a lot of cup close-ups of this dude's face. But that scene was so bizarre. I was like, this is pushing into that comedic territory of like so long that it's maybe working. I don't know. Yes, Christine, I agree. That's absolutely what it is. Because, yeah, at first it's like, whoa, this is action fact. This is crazy. Look at him struggle against this weapon this alien has. And then it's like, okay, this has been like, this has been a while, right? And then, like, after a while goes on even further, it's like, well, this is kind of hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
and then it's it's this one moment has three phases where he's rolling on the ground, struggling to not get injected with the heroin. Then mm-hmm. he gets dragged across the entire refinery floor. Then he struggles to like close up combat with like the needle almost going in his face. Then he struggles to turn it on the alien. Then he sticks it in the alien's face. Sticks it in the alien's face, and in a te- uh, one of the lines, Sam, that you texted was, uh, "Fuck you, spaceman." <laughs> I love that. I was like, "I'm gonna get this tattooed on my face." I'm actually thinking about getting it on my neck. Fuck you, spaceman. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe with a little like wire wrapping around or something. Yeah. But this uh, this heroin apparently doesn't really affect the alien much. Uh, just goes into him and he seems more frustrated than anything else. But that gives Dolph an opportunity to kick him into um, a, this broken, severed horizontal pipe uh, that seems to be sticking out of the foundry, very much like a la Commando, uh, and impales him on it. The alien um, in his dying dying gasps and howls is just, you know, rah, 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 rah. I come in peace. To which Dolph pointedly retorts. He loads the uh, alien weapon, points it back at him, and delivers. And you go in pieces, asshole. And blows the alien to bits. Mm-hmm. I loved that. I texted that line, too, because I just, I was besides myself. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has two cold opens and two final lines. <laughs> it really does. I mean, that pretty much, that kind of wraps up the tension of the movie. After that, the three of them lumber off, uh, happy to have saved the day, question mark. And they learn Agent Smith's first name, which uh, after all this time, he's just been Agent Smith of stodgy, stick up his butt, Agent Smith. You know, we don't know really much about him other than that he's kind of a stick in the mud. But now we learn his name, which is Arwin, or as his friends call him, Larry. And now he and Diane can finally take their vacation, uh, as he's promised. So he's... He's seeing that promise through to the end. Uh, Kane says he's thinking of Rio for a getaway. Uh, that being where Manning is. We've established that. Um, and an exasperated Smith says, no, 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 no. Freeze frame. And then we're treated to the movie's theme song, Touch Me Tonight by Shooting Star. Feels is- like a breakfast club ending. Yeah. Like, <laughs> freeze frame, buddy film, like, Buddy ending, everyone made it out alive. Like who were, like I thought one of them was gonna die. I was convinced. I was mm-hmm. like, well, no, maybe he wants to end on a feel good. Did Agent Smith think he's going on this vacation? I think so. I think he thinks he's going. But that hasn't been one of Kane's promises. So I don't know if that's gonna pan out. Plus, I mean, he's got a lot of questions <laughs> to answer over at the FBI. Why not at this point? Why not? They might as well just go into hiding. Their, yeah. their lives are ruined. <laughs> yeah, they're fucked. Definitely. But that, in essence, is I come in peace. I mean, that's kind of a blow-by-blow blow, uh, rundown of what you can expect if you're going to check this movie out, which you should. It's on YouTube. Um, at least in my opinion. What do you guys think? Is it one worth checking out? Because I think it's one of those... I, I, I consider it to be in, like, my, uh, my holy trinity of hokey 80s-era action films. It's this... Uh, it's Quiet Cool, which we've discussed in the past, and then a movie called My Demon Lover, which we're absolutely going to cover someday. Um, but I think those three are like kind of the pinnacle of the underwritten and underappreciated, undiscovered hidden gems of 80s and, uh, in this case, early 90s action cinema. Um, but that's me. What do you guys think? Yeah. <laughs> it was a very fun would, watch. I think I would recommend Quiet Cool over... Dark Angel. Really? I can feel like, yeah, I think I just, I liked, and maybe part of that was because that was the first movie we all watched together. Yeah. Um, So that's, it's hard to like, that's like a very strong memory, good memory. Um, But I just remember, I feel like out of, you know, thinking about those two movies, I think I liked Quiet Cool a little more. I think it was just a little with like the weed farm and like this whole enterprise of drugs in Northern California. I don't know. That movie swept me away. I think a little more than Dark Angel. I feel like Quiet Cool is a way more cohesive vision, but not quite as action-packed as this. Although yeah, I this love this movie went by motorcycle. Really it depends what you're looking for. If you want a movie that's about, um, you know, 
Pacific Northwest uh, weed growing operations. Uh, or if you want a movie that's about uh, alien technology and its intersection with the FBI, uh, you know, take your pick with these two. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, was really glad to have brought this one to the table. We're really glad to have gotten everyone's thoughts. And uh, again, would really encourage anybody to check it out. Again, free on YouTube. Just have a look. Look up Dark Angel or I Come in Peace. You'll find this movie. And uh, that's there a reason us... that there were two titles. Oh, there was. Uh, I there was were... curious about the two titles. When they were making this movie, they got concerned uh, because there were two movies called Dark Angel that were released previously one from 1925 and one from 1933, I think. Ah, uh, yes. We would get them confused. So probably not much of a reason to be concerned yeah. about that copyright at that point. But uh, they decided uh, within. Domestically, it would be it would be published as I Come in Peace, but internationally, it is still Dark Angel. And when you watch the movie, the I really like, is Dark Angel. I really like the title I Come in Peace because there is this sort of Christmas thread, and it like I th- I just imagine it as a like an explosive Christmas story, like this like evil angel coming to Earth, and just fucking shit up. Mm-hmm. And you're like, clearly, you don't come in peace, but. I don't know. Oh, oh, and there's like some Bible shit. Doesn't he have this line, never trust nobody, Cain chapter one or something? It's like, what is this line? Oh, that's oh, kind wait, of no, him. that's him. That's his name. Oh, I didn't put that together. Never mind. <laughs> I was like, is there some biblical through line? That's him poking fun at um at Agent Smith because he's always quoting the uh, the Switzer manual. So the Cain manual is played by your own rules and never trust nobody. Which evidently is on page, oh. uh, page one, chapter one of the page one, out. chapter one. <laughs> but what about his partner Ray? Never trust him, I guess. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's for the prequel. It didn't, it didn't work out for Ray right either way. Prequel. Poor Ray, who, uh, as we know, went to um, what would that be? SMDU. <laughs> so one for all the alums out there. Um, yeah, it's uh, this has been a really fun month. Um, you know, obviously we've we've tackled some movies we've really been looking forward to talking about since they're all movies that made our recommended 100 list, which you can go back and check out via episode 100. It's a pretty thoughtful and pretty insightful uh, kind of window into our respective tastes, and uh, probably a window in what you can expect uh, coming down the pike with some future episodes, in addition to uh, some other curveballs. Uh, next month we've got a new theme coming that we're really looking forward to delving into. Um, we also have some, some kind of big news coming down the pike as concerns the podcast and, uh, and its future. So uh, we're really looking forward to discussing that when Tori is here to discuss it with us. Um, wasn't able to be here this week, but of course we're, she's here in spirit and we're looking forward to, to delving into movies with her when she returns uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, in the meantime, of course, you can find her material through Cinema 76 and uh, and now Movie John, as I understand it. Um, and also keep an eye out for um, her upcoming uh, inaugural podcast episode for uh, Killer Bees, which is coming down the pike. Of course, we're all really excited to hear where it, what comes uh, from that. So feel free to hit us up on our socials. That's, of course, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, our email handle is uh, butterwiththatpodcast at gmail.com. So drop us Thank a line, you so much uh, like Zoe. For that yeah. email, Zoe. Yay. Zoe. And we'll look forward to hearing more. Drop us a line. Chances are we'll read it on air. Have a wonderful week. Uh, we'll see you with Kane and uh, and Smith and Diane and Rio. But until then, take care. Bye. Bye.